And so today we are going to look at the book of Acts, chapter 6, what many scholars believe is the very first ordination of deacons into the church work in the early church. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, and if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It's page uh, 1061 in your pew Bible, if you're trying to find it. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a number of priests became obedient to the faith. Father, this is your word. Teaches us about how these seven men were appointed to this service to take care of a responsibility within the early church. And Lord, here we are over 2,000 years later, and we are doing the same here today at Ashley River Baptist Church. We have chosen three men to fill the role of deacon here at Ashley River. Father, I pray a blessing upon not only your word, but on the service of these three men and the entire deacon body here, because it is an important body within your local church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we'll see here in this passage that there are three reasons why it is critical for us to have deacons and why they are called to serve as deacons. I'll never forget back on the day when I was a deacon chairman. I was the chairman of the deacons back in 2002. Donnie Webb was my vice chair. And we had a deacon retreat out to Bonnie Doon. And... Um, as the theme for that deacon retreat, it was, how do we serve one another better? And so we looked into the Bible to see the great servant himself, the great example of service, and that is Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 13, we find the narrative of Jesus gathering his disciples together on the night before he was betrayed and would be crucified. And he kneels down and he begins to wash their feet. And so, of course, he tells them that I am doing this to set an example for how you are to serve one another. In that day, that was perhaps one of the most menial tasks that anyone could do. And yet it is the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ, who kneels down before his disciples and washes their feet. Well, in the spirit of 
uh, trying to emulate that passage in our Lord Jesus Christ, Donnie and I came up with the idea that as deacons would come over to Bonnie Dune when they would pull up in their cars and get out of their cars and approach the, the house, we would kneel down and we would sit right here and we would ceremonially wash their feet. And then they would walk into the, to the house. And so the whole weekend was all about washing feet. And so the challenge at the end of that weekend was for us to go home and do that with our spouses. And so we went home. And I'm, you know, on this mountaintop experience. And I come home and I open up the door and I say, honey, I'm home. And she's like, hey. And uh, she's in the kitchen. And I said, Susan, I want to wash your feet. She looks at me and she says, listen, if you want to wash something, we got three dirty children upstairs. <laughs> I realized that one of, the met one of the responsibilities was not washing feet in this passage that we just read. But it is a demonstration of that love that we have for one another. I want us to see here in this passage that there's first a situation. It's a situation. What is the situation that they're facing with? It says in verse 1, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Now, in the, in the actual text, the Greek text, it doesn't say of food. It's implied, perhaps, but that's why it's added to some translations. But it actually just says the daily distribution. It could be in the way in which they were sharing their possessions or their wealth with one another. But the point here is that the church, even the early church, was multi-ethnic. It was multicultural. It's, it's interesting how all of a sudden in the early church, there begins this potential for a discord or a divide within the body. Today we have that. There are people sitting in this congregation right now who are from the north. Some of you were born in the south. Some of you are from Johns Island. Some are from James Island. Some from Mount Pleasant. Some from Goose Creek. Some from Monk's Corner. Some from Somerville. Some from right here in West Ashley. Some from downtown. Some from Hollywood and Ravenel. Aren't we all like coming together from various parts of town? We are all, we all have a different experience of traffic and where we live. We have different kinds of neighbors. Some of us were raised in a household where we had lots of children. Some of us are only children. Some of us were coming from different backgrounds, different cultural upbringings. Every one of us has a difference about us. But what brings us together isn't our differences. It is what brings us together is the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. This is what makes us one one people. You see, all these differences the devil wants to use to separate us, to segregate us. We're living in a time of isolation and segregation. Just look at social media and how it divides groups out based on how you believe about a particular topic. It's a, it's a way in which we can divide, and instead, what we need for the church to do is unite, to bring us together, to help us to understand that we are all one under Jesus Christ. Amen. And so this multi-ethnic church at the very beginning of the church age actually has these differences 
And you see how the disciples, the apostles, handled it. They dealt with it head on. They didn't ignore it. They didn't sweep it under the rug. They didn't turn a blind eye. They said, we have a problem. We have an issue. Let's, let's deal with it. Well, you know, in church today, that's how it is. And guess what body is responsible to address the emergent needs that come into our congregation? It's the deacons. You see, in this situation, it was to properly care for those Hellenistic widows. You have the Judaic widows who were raised in the Jewish faith and culture, but then those who were Greek-speaking and are kind of part of the Greek culture, there was this natural divide. In Psalm 68.5, it says that God is father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. In 1 Timothy 5.3, it says this, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. And then James says this in chapter 1, verse 2, 27 of his book, religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless. It is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. You see, today we have needs in our church. We have widows in our church. We have orphans, perhaps. We have, there's a lot of people who come in and visit. We have hospitality that needs to be done. People need to feel welcome. Deacons are responsible to help with that. They also provide security on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings. They're an information resource. You can go up to any deacon, they wear a badge. You can say, where do I go for this Sunday school or that? They, they count the worship attendance. They are responsible for following up with our guests who come and visit. They fill out a card, a connection card, just like this, and you'll get somebody to reach out to you, myself or one of the deacons. They handle key decision-making on church-wide issues. They meet month on a regular basis to do this. They support all of the ministries of the committees and teams that we have as a church family, and they support the pastoral and church staff. This is what deacons do. But no matter what the emergent needs are, the deacon body is called on to lead in that effort. And that's what these three men are called to do. And then secondly, we see here not just the situation, but their solution. There are four aspects of the solution. Look at what it says there in verse 2. So the twelve gathered together, all the disciples, and he said, what, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. So in fact, the first part of the solution is to make sure that keeping the ministry of the word, the preaching of the word, primary. And the apostles were responsible to do that. Why, why the apostles? They were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were testifying as personal eyewitnesses of his power and glory. They were the ones who would share the gospel boldly, confidently in the generation in which they lived. But the second piece is this. They were to choose. Look at what it says there. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be good for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men. Now, seven sounds like a perfect number, but I'm not sure if it's relevant here. The point is, is that Whatever number they needed, that's probably what they chose. And so they felt like seven men would be able to get the job done. And so they chose them to meet this emerging need. But then they talk about the qualifications. And look at what it says. Seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. 
Now, what does it mean to be full of the Spirit? It means to be led by the Spirit. It means to be walking in the Spirit on a daily basis. It's a way in which we understand, just like I said two weeks ago, the Spirit gets more of us. It's not that we get more of the Spirit. It's just that the Spirit has greater control over our lives, what we do, what we say, where we go, how we, how we live our lives in glory and honor to God. You see, and that's being Holy Spirit-led. But then it says in wisdom. Wisdom is nothing more than properly applied knowledge. In the Proverbs, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. In Proverbs 15, 22, it says there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Well, that's what the deacons are. They are a multitude of counsel. And then fourthly, not only to keep the ministry of the word and choose and then establish the qualifications, but then to present them publicly. Present them publicly, which we're going to do this morning in this church service. Praying over them and laying hands on them. Now we understand what it means to present uh, people publicly and to pray for them, but what's this whole idea of laying hands on? It's, uh, you know, we find it in the Old Testament actually. In Numbers chapter 27, it says this So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Now, we all know who Joshua was. He was the successor to Moses. He was the one that God had identified who would lead the Israelite people into the promised land. And so Moses was transferring the leadership, the spiritual leadership from himself over to Joshua. And that's really what laying hands on is, is assigning responsibility from a spiritual standpoint. It's conveying spiritual responsibility. In the New Testament, Jesus would lay his hands on people he would heal from time to time. Sometimes he would speak it and it would happen. Others, he would lay his hand on them. So it can also bestow healing. And so here we see in the New Testament that it bestows healing, but there's this commissioning, this ordination that is also relevant to this passage. It says, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. You see, we didn't just arbitrarily choose them. No, they demonstrated spiritual attributes, a spiritual depth, a faith that is real. You see, their faith, it says in some of the versions, it says they were full of faith. Now, what does it mean to be full of faith? You know, let me ask you a question. What do you believe? If somebody came up to you who's not a Christian, and they walked up to you today, and they said, you know what, what do you believe about Jesus? Would you feel comfortable being able to tell them about what you believe? You know, what, what would you say? What do I believe about Jesus? Well, first of all, I believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe that he is a, a, a historical figure. He actually lived on this earth. I believe he lived a sinless life. I believe that he preached for three and a half years about the kingdom of God. I believe that he was delivered over to Pilate to be crucified. I believe that he was brutally beaten and then crucified and then he was buried. And then on the third day, I believe that he rose from the dead, victorious. And then he spent the next 40 days talking to his followers in his resurrected state about the kingdom of God. And then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. 
I believe that Jesus is in heaven. I believe that Jesus is at the right hand of God. I believe that Jesus right now is making intercession for you and me. That's what I believe. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, and if you have faith, you understand that he is on his throne. And so when he, when we read in the word that we are to commission men set aside by faith and full of the Holy Spirit, these are the kinds of people we are looking for. In the New Testament, the church set aside Paul and Barnabas to go on a missionary journey in Acts chapter 13. And when they commissioned them, they prayed over them, and then it said this, that they were then, they then gathered together and they laid hands on them to send them out. But in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse uh, 22, it says this, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. We do this discreetly. We, de- we do this with respect. We understand that this is a high calling to the deacon office. In fact, if you realize this, there's only two offices in the New Testament church, pastor and deacon. That's it. That's all we have, and that's all we need. But then thirdly, we move from the situation to the solution to the spread. Look at what it says there in verse 7. So the word, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is powerful. So we can see that the preaching and teaching of the gospel, because it was not diminished or minimized in any way, it stayed with the apostles, that these deacons stepped in to do the work of the church so that it would not distract the apostles from preaching. Guess what? The church continued to grow. You know, in Acts chapter 2, Peter, when he preached on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. We look over and a couple chapters later, guess what we find? That 2,000 more were added to the church. And we go over one more chapter to chapter 5 and we learn that the number of disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ continued to increase day after day after day. We see here in this chapter, verse 1, it says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. And then it closes it here in chapter, uh, verse 7 where it says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Oh, to see a move of God that we might increase the number of disciples in Charleston. The number of people who come to the realization that they are at the end of their rope. There is no way they can earn their way to God. There is no way they can solve their problems. There is no way they can overcome their sin condition. If only they will submit and surrender to the purpose and will of God in their lives. But how can they believe if no one has told them? You see, our job, our job as the church is to be a light to the world. To share the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is good news. And the number of disciples will increase. You know, God's mission is a rescue mission. We're his SWAT team. I gave a a little bit of homework to my Wednesday night group. I told them to read Matthew 12. It's a beautiful picture of how Jesus sees the church in action. 
He said, no one can break into the strong man's house unless he first bind up the strong man, and then he can be robbed of his possessions. Well, you think about that, and you start asking yourself the question, who is this strong man? Well, it's the devil. It's Satan. It's the ruler of this world. And this world is his house. And the devil, what Jesus is saying is, the devil is, has people captive to their sin. And he's holding them there. But Jesus says, I have bound up the strong man by my death and resurrection. And because I have bound him up, now the church can go and rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save, as the hymn says. You know, it's never been any different. The message and the mission of God has always been he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. He told Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply. He told Jacob, who is the, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, be fruitful and multiply. He told the exiles through the prophet Jeremiah, be fruitful and multiply. And Jesus, in his great commission, what does he say? Go and make disciples of all nations. Be fruitful and multiply. And so we see Peter preaching on Pentecost. 3,000 are added to their number. 2,000 later, just a couple of chapters later. And we see here that the deacons are playing a huge role within the church so that the body of Christ can function care for itself, care for others, but that the mission of God would not be hindered, but move forward in, in really being a part of redeeming this generation for Jesus Christ. So my question to all of us this morning is, what's your role? What are you going to do? What is your commitment? These men said they're going to take care of the business of this church. They're going to pray for this membership. They're going to step in and meet emerging needs as they come up. But our role is none other than to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone we come into contact with. Oh, if we had a sense of urgency to do that. I love what Jeff prayed. Revival. Revival. Do you believe in revival? I believe in revival. I believe that God and the Holy Spirit can move in this city like it's never moved before. We call ourselves the Holy City. Well, I'll tell you right now, the Holy Spirit wants every person in this city to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. Who will join us?